I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm jo- I'm joined by Merlin Mann today. Hi, Merlin Mann. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am very well, sir. How are you? Ah, I'm doing extremely well. So, I've kind of lured you here under false pretenses today. Just, mm-hmm. just a tad. <laughs> is this an intervention? It is for me. Again, uh, again. I'm sorry. So, I have something that. So, there's one. There's the thing I want to talk to you about today is reinvention and big projects and stepping out of your comfort zone. And the reason I want to talk about that is because I'm doing that. Um, And this is the first time I'm probably talking about it. So this episode will be the last episode of this show in this format. What? So you started Command Space, which this show became in August 2012. Uh, And that's kind of been my kind of one-on-one interview show for like two and a half years. And I've been working on something since November. And it's a special series of the show that I hope will eventually become like a format. So we're moving to a different type of show, really. And the first one is called Behind the App, and it starts next week. So I've been interviewing lots and lots of people, and I'm I'm taking like a play out of like the NPR Gimlet serial type production. So heavily edited with music and lots of clips and narration and stuff. So that's well, coming. Congratulations, next week. man. That, that's an exciting announcement. Yeah, it's I've been working on it for a long time. Um, and it's been a huge project. Um, and it's a project that I'm I'm scared of because I'm I don't know how people are gonna take it. I think people will like it, but I hope that it will be a success. Um, but one of the big things that that I've been going through is like this idea of like, can I do this? You know, and and it's been a big kind of like a thing in the back of my head the whole time is like, can I do it? Because it's just me. I, I know that some of these shows like they have like production staff. I can see why now. <laughs> totally, because it's a huge, huge undertaking. Um, and for us to maybe continue it past this first season then we may need to have someone help me on the show. But that's a conversation for another day. But I kind of, there was, it, so basically that is kind of the frame. Um, and I wanted to have you on the show today because you it, it, it felt like a nice bookend. You, you are a very handsome bookend um, uh, to, to cut and start and end this chapter of this thing that I do. Because this, this show, like Inquisitive, was before that command space was before that a show called the bro show like it's just it is the one constant every wednesday for five years i've done a show and it's kind of like this is like the next evolution of it so it's it's kind of it's a big change right for me to go in a different direction again but it's something that i've done a lot um i have no kind of fear in burning things down and starting again no Um, kidding and it's just it's just a kind of a, a way that I've always been. Like, basically, the way that I feel about this show is that, like I'm not. I don't think the show has has gotten bad. I just know that I've I want to ch- I want to change before the show could, you know, get bad. And and I wondered like, if you because you've been through many many different kind of like you know the phases of Merlin Man as it were and the things that you do online. Do you like have a like a sense for? how you feel about like continuing projects do you feel like you know when a project is done or like how have you made the decisions that you've made over time as to when it's right to move on uh that's a great question and uh, i think it's, it's hard and difficult and and multifaceted because there are some kinds of things that well uh, let's look at the one kind of thing there's one kind of thing that's like a passion project where you would do it like probably like your pen show right like you would do that if nobody listened because you really love doing it and right I mean that's the kind of thing where you know that may not I don't know I don't know it might be your most popular show but right I mean for me that's kind of like Roderick on the line I just really enjoy doing that it's nice that we get sponsors but there that's the kind of thing that I would do you know pretty much anyway no matter what do you know what I mean yeah because it makes everything else nicer well, right. And I mean, that's, uh, the, I think one of the uh, massive mythologies about the whole do what you love thing is that you should actually love what you do all the time, which I think is a, a fairly toxic idea. Because I always think of things like working on a film, where if you want to be an assistant director, uh, if your first priority is, I want to do what I love, 
Second, second, that I want to do what I love all the time, every day, every working day. Three, that I want it to be on my terms. Four, I want to like everybody I work with. You're never going to be an assistant director because in order to make the work of an assistant director, you got to put up with a lot of stuff. So I, you know, I guess that seems obvious to most people once they get past a certain hurdle. But I always feel like it's worth mentioning that, you know, even if it's what you might call a passion project or something you you really love, it's easy enough to look past the things that are annoying about it because you really love the product. And to me, that's a kind of grown up approach, right? Is that you have on that hand, even at something you love, you accept that there's a trade off, which is it may not be the most profitable thing I do in terms of dollars or uh, euros. Uh, it, it may not be the most popular thing. Um, and it may be something that just I enjoy. But even then, even in that situation, you are tacitly accepting a kind of trade-off, right? So you know you've got to spend time on something that isn't just a total balls-out guaranteed hit. And you do it because you love it. Um, then there's the other kinds of things that are kind of more like what you might consider your, your job, right? Like the kinds of things where you go like, well, this is my thing that I do. And in the case of podcasts, I, I, I can't speak for you, but you know, I think one way in which you and I seem to be alike is historically, neither of us have been in the over, like the heavy editing camp. It's not like a, obviously, it's not like an NPR show, it's not like a public radio show. It's not even like the incomparable. You know, when, when you see Jason Snell posting what those logic files look like, it, that just, I want to have a stroke when I look at that. You know what I mean? The amount of work involved in ducking all those people, having to listen. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, because that's what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks. It's 100%. But but you and I, I think, you know, I'll often ask you at the end of a recording, uh, when do you think it'll go up? And you'll say, oh, 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, because that's that's how I like these sort of shows where it's just like, me and someone or me and a couple of people talking like i just feel like why sit on that like just just get it out there like every i have this feeling like every minute that it's sitting on just my computer it's like getting older and wasting time and becoming irrelevant it's just this weird feeling that i have i i agree uh some of it is um some of it is a professional thing of I want to post stuff regularly. But even like with some shows like Roderick on the Line, we've had a, for a variety of reasons, we've had to pre-record shows, you know, as much as, you know, a month and a half in advance uh, since the, you know, late fall. Um, and it drives me nuts. Yeah, because I can't wait. I, I just can't wait. It's right. Just, it's but, but, yeah, part, part of it is I know I can't just go and like spit out seven episodes <laughs> at one time. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't listen to that. But um, you have to you have to, you know, meet the expectations that you set. But um, but then there's also just the case with me being kind of a discursive cat. Like I'm going to like probably mention, given that I often mention what's on my mind, I may end up doing this dumb thing where I'm back to work. Another podcast I do. I say like, oh, blah, 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 something, something that happened to me. And that's in a Roderick. It's already been discussed in much more interesting detail in a Roderick on the line that'll go up in two weeks. But then there's also just the blogger's basic adrenaline rush, which is that feeling of how great it feels. You did the editing, you got it put together, you came up with a title, you did all of these probably two dozen Microtasks, none of which are that difficult. But I mean, stuff like put things in the right fields, make sure the date is correct, all this little dumb, like weirdly satisfying stuff. Go out and find, like for Roderick, I'll go out and find funny steel show art from somebody's website. And then finally, you get to where you, you, you put it in and you set it and you hit it and it goes up. And then you like tweet about it or you see it go up and you see people respond to it. And, you know, I'll never get tired of that really good feeling. And so, I, I, I only mention it because on the one hand, so first of all, you got the kind of, I'm, I'm prattling on, I'm sorry. Um, you got the first kind of show, which is the thing you're going to do no matter what, because that's your thing you love doing. It could be writing, could be playing with a kid, whatever. You got another kind of project, which is, you know, uh, some work, but it's not, you know, brutally difficult to do. And in the case of you and me, the kind of way we record is easy enough to get pretty good at fast. And then I think you go to the next level of like, you know, I think Serial has set a pretty high bar in terms of, or, you know, Radio Lab or whatever, you know, pick any of your favorite shows in terms of editing, you know, or look at something like On the Media, which comes out every Friday afternoon. And they've got tape segments, they, they've got a report on stuff that just happened. I think that's a pretty small operation, you know, edited by Brooke. And this, <laughs> one of the people who does the show does the editing, and that's a lot of work. But then you get to this other kind of project where you start to get a little bit more on the bubble about it where you go you know it's funny i've got this one project that's kind of like these three other projects 
two of those three other projects, I'm fine doing. One of them, I'm like, whatever. And then this fourth project, I'm like, ugh. All those little dumb tasks are really starting to feel trying. Like, you know, you may not be as crazy about your relationship with the other person. You may not be getting the sponsors that you want. Well, you name it, right? There's a million things. And I think that's when you start getting that little itch where you've got to start evaluating how much you want to trade off for that. So you could be real up in the trees about that and get into the time and attention stuff, right? And say, well, Mm -hmm. is this a good use of my time? But then on another level, you're you're like, do I still love this show? Like, if if I don't love this show, my gosh, why, why would I want to do that? You know what I mean? And those are the ones I think that we tend to want to kind of clip off. If you go like, this has gone, like every podcast starts a certain way and then goes in a direction. You certainly know this with, you know, Bionic and Bonanza. Uh, and you go, oh, that's turned into a different thing. Now I like that. Other kinds of shows can turn into different things. And so, I don't know, there's like three and a half kinds of podcasts or, or projects. And I think when you get to the point where it starts to feel like a drag, to where the trade-off is constantly on your mind and maybe you're not looking forward to even having to think about what you need to do to do it. I mean, it sounds obvious. It took me 10 minutes to say it, but that's a really good sign that that's a project that either needs a serious overhaul or needs a serious reframing. It might need a break or it might need to just go away for a little while or forever. And then that's the tough part because you know if you've built up an audience, people like that, they feel a relationship with what you do and, you know, they feel kind of crestfallen if it goes away. But you're like, eh. I mean, does that make sense? No, it does. And I think it's like, it's something I'm going to create a term. It's like the creator's dilemma. Like you, you know that there are people that love what you do or they love the thing that you do and you know you're going to upset people if you change it or make it go away. But you need to kind of, I think you have to have a pride in your work no matter whatever your work is. You have to have a pride in it. And if you have to change it to continue to be proud or like change it before you feel like you might lose your pride, I think mm-hmm. that that's the right thing to do. And that's, it's there's something kind of just borrowed away in my brain that makes me do that. Uh, you know, I anybody that's ever followed anything that I do will see that I move on from things uh, quite quickly, quickly by internet standards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I, I noticed uh, that you obviously noticed, but a couple of weeks ago you went like to two hundred episodes of, of back to work, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think two oh seven right now. I don't think I've ever gotten that far with anything, any show. So it surprised me too. I've, I've always really enjoyed doing it, and I like working with Dan a lot. But it was very surprising to me that it, I, I guess I never really thought about it and whether it would last that long. So yeah, that's it was surprising, but. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for for all those different, I guess I'm tossing out a, a general framework for like if if it is if you're on the bubble about it and you're thinking about what you should do before we get to the fear part or the you know imposter syndrome or however you like to think of it, you've got like what did I say? You you've got you know you could uh, reboot it, uh, reframe it. I'm literally making this up. Reboot it, uh, reframe it. Um, what was the other one before you get to uh, poop canning it? But you, you can pick a certain kind of, of – the reframing to me is always a very interesting idea. It's hard to do with something that's a very mature property because it involves communication that's probably already a little bit – maybe a little bit frayed. If you're already feeling you know, a certain way about how the show is, it's awkward to have a conversation with somebody after six months, a year, five years about going, well, here's this thing I'd like to do differently. And that's, that's an odd conversation. Yeah. I, I remember – like I want to say this was advice, but I think instead it was just something I realized – maybe around when I was in college, which is if you're ever going to say no to something, um, to, to another person, a person wants to do something and it's an overt like, you know, um, offer to do something. Do you want to go out to dinner? Do you want to date? Do you want to whatever? Do you want this gig? I realized that the smartest thing that you can do is to give exactly one reason for why you're not going to do it. Um, you, you, can get, you can just say, well, just because, that's fine. But I think ideally when you say no to somebody, it's in the most honest way you can, you should explain why you don't want to do it. So, some gigs I say, well, I couldn't, I couldn't do a great job for that amount of money. Uh, I, I could say like, uh, and that's true, right? Or you say like, I couldn't do it given the time commitment that's required. Um, but, but the funny part is, the corollary is that by the time you're thinking about something that's an on-the-bubble project, there might actually be, once you open that door just a little bit to go like, what's my one reason? You might discover like, seven miniature reasons that all accumulate into this big snotty bubblegum ball of stuff where you're like, I just don't even like thinking about that anymore. And you're like, wow, I never really, it's like getting rid of junk. You start going, I want to clean out this one drawer. And then you go like, I hate my whole house. You know, do you ever get that? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> but lot. you know what I'm saying, right? That's no, not totally crazy, right? No, it's not. It's not. Let <clears> me <throat> let me take a quick break and I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. So this episode of Inquisitive is brought to you by our friends over at lynda.com. It's already February. What are you waiting for? It's time to invest in yourself in 2015 and learn something new. And you can start with lynda.com with a 10-day free trial and you can learn something amazing. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world. They have over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, business. Maybe you want to learn something practical. Maybe you want to learn uh, more about an app. Maybe you want to think about how can you maybe get a raise or maybe in your job so you want to learn some new skills or maybe you have a hobby that you've always wanted to undertake or maybe you're listening to this and you decide you want to take your career in a different place so you want to completely retrain yourself. Lynda.com is a good place to start. You get unlimited access to all of their courses. You can view them on your tablet, on your iOS device. They have great apps for that. Um, they also have ability, of course, to view them on your desktop, your you know your Mac or PC. Um, Lynda.com have great courses that I've taken a look at before. They have some great audio and music production stuff. So if you maybe you want to be a musician and you want to learn how to do all that sort of stuff on your Mac or PC, maybe you want to learn Logic or GarageBand for podcast production, they have all of that there. Maybe you want to learn a bit about design. They have uh, courses on Illustrator and Photoshop, and they have a. They also have a GTD course as well, which is actually taught by David Allen himself. You know, can't get any better than that. Maybe Merlin is also a good person to do I've it, heard but. great things. I haven't watched it myself, but I've heard great things about it. Yeah, so th- I, I've seen some of it, and it is fantastic. Um, I just He really it. has a way of cutting through the fog, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And, you know, if anybody's going to know GTD, it's probably him. Uh, right. so you need to go and try this out for yourself, and you can watch some of these fantastic videos. Lynda.com is such an incredible resource, and once you dig in, you kind of just want to learn everything. So go and sign up for a free 10-day trial right now by going to lynda.com. Um, slash inquisitive, of course, free 10-day trial with lynda.com slash inquisitive. Go ahead. I challenge you to learn something new. Thanks so much to lynda.com for the support of this show. So a minute ago, and and you kind of expanded on it a little bit about loving what you do. That is, and you you mentioned it yourself, and I agree, that is such like a, a poisonous phrase because loving what you do, doing what you love, like it's kind of an impossible thing. Because it's such a first, it's such a, I'm realizing it's such a first world white guy thing to say. Yeah. I mean, not, not to be controversial, but it's, it, it's, it's so fatuous to say something like that. But yeah, I, I, I think there's ways you can massage that, but yeah, go ahead. Like, I agree. <laughs> I think it would be fair for us both to say that we are in very privileged positions with our employment in that, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm maybe putting words in your mouth, but we kind of get to do a job that we love. Right. <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> I, yeah. I guess you know it's just that it's you know like any, any kind of cliche always has a grain of truth in it. It always starts out somewhere, even if it's an ugly cliche. Like, but it starts out because a lot of people thought something. Went, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, and so, like the do what you love thing, uh, on the face of it, it sounds great, but it, it's such a canard because that's not the kind of advice you need to give to somebody who's an advanced professional in what they do. They do what they do because that's what they do. It's their job, right? Or as I was explaining to my daughter the other day, the difference between a job and a career, which I think is an interesting distinction to, to try and make. You know, you, you may have a job that's part of your career, but a career is much more than a job. It's a, it's a whole arc of uh, you kind of changing over time and doing different things. So when, when people say do what you love, I can't, kind of can't help but roll my eyes because that sounds to me like somebody who hasn't failed at enough things yet. I mean, it's, I think it's more accurate to say I think if you break that down to some sub pieces a little bit, do what you love. Okay, well, how about these instead? Uh, how do you like spending your day? What kind of people do you like being compelled to work with? Do you like client work? A lot of people think they're going to love web design and then discover they have to go get invoices paid. Wow, that is no fun. Does that mean you don't like web design? Are you not doing what you love? Well, you're nominally doing what you love, but you may not love the way you have to spend your day. And you won't know that until you spend your days doing that. That's one. Another one that I think is super important is do what you love. Okay, well, how about instead you worry about loving what you make? So if you're if you are feel very strongly about the things that you produce over a year and have a feeling that 
that's become a part of who you are, then you can probably legitimately give yourself a greeting card and say, congratulations, you're doing what you love. But, you know, I, I think it, 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 it's kind of a cheap line that gets sold to people as a way of, you know, kind of a little short espresso shot of inspiration that's actually BS. Because, you know, you, you, you're, you are whatever you do a lot. And if you were already great at it, you'd already be at the top of the chain, but you're not. So you're still searching. We're all still searching. And there's things that everybody has to do every day that's kind of a, a real pain in the butt. Some of those things are more pleasurable and involve air conditioning and sitting in a chair. And yeah, people are lucky to have that. But it's really dismissive to me to look at, you know, look at somebody who's like a, a fine artist who makes a lot of money go, well, that's, you know, you know uh, easy money, right? Well, I mean, there's parts that they worked hard to get where they are. Um, so anyway, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it is a little bit of a classist thing to say like, oh, you know, your problem is, you know, you're a janitor with four kids. Your, your problem is you need to do what you love. Well, what I love is my kid's not dying. So like, that's a thing I need to do. It's very, you know, it is kind of classist to say that. And it's also just kind of dopey. It just be, it, it, it kind of indicates to me somebody who hasn't done a whole lot of stuff yet or has done a lot of stuff and has made a career out of telling people what they should be doing. It's just like, you know, I am in a situation now where the thing that I love to do is now my job, right? So that is, in that instance, yes, of course, I am doing what I love. However, there is a bunch of stuff that comes along with it now where it's like, this is a business now. And there are things that you do in a business which aren't necessarily all the things that you love to do. Like, mm -hmm. I would like to just sit here and, and just talk into the microphone. But that's not all that there is. Like right. I, I sit quite a lot of the time in Google Sheets now and create spreadsheets of things mm -hmm. because I have to because otherwise Stephen gets really mad because he can't balance the books, right? So mm -hmm. it's like it's you kind of have to, to accept some of those things. But they do – I mean, look, don't get me wrong. They become a lot easier to accept when when you're in a position where – the end of the day you know you can say okay i did all those things that i love to do but it's just like i i think it can be it can be so dangerous i think for people to be so fixated on something like this is what i want to do because once i get there everything will be perfect absolutely and <clears throat> to me in some ways um i mean I'll, I'll give you a very specific example i think if you ask most people who write a lot or who write for a living um they, they will tell you you know, not as a joke, they will tell you, like, I don't really like writing. Like, writing is really, really hard. There's a reason I don't write much anymore. It's really hard. But I love having written. I like it when it's done. And I say, this is close enough to not sucking that I can live with it. That's a fantastic feeling. But it's a little bit like trying to produce a pearl from a, a grain of sand in some ways. I mean, boo-hoo, it's not coal mining. But it still can be, like, kind of mentally and emotionally taxing work to be under a deadline to try and produce something on a regular basis that other people will, will find illuminating. But the, um, yeah, 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 I totally agree with you. And the, uh, and I think, I think part of it is also though, at the heart of it, it bugs me because it is kind of BS and it's the kind of BS that's not just fun, silly BS. Like it's the kind that it can be a little bit extra toxic because it leads you in the opposite direction of, of what you should be doing. Like, I mean, for example, yesterday, my daughter said something, we were walking home from school, and she was saying how this friend of hers is the smartest person she knows, and she's not nearly as smart as this boy. And I was like, well, are you sure about that? Like, I know lots of ways that you're better at lots of stuff than him. Everybody's different, right? I mean, you know, it's a little bit of the Disney vision of, of uh, equality, but it's true. But I was saying, like, you know, you have to understand, it's like the Howard Gardner thing. There's different kinds of intelligence. You have an uncle that, like, barely made it out of high school, but now it makes more money than any of us installing electronics in boats because he found this thing that he's fantastic at. Do you think he sat there in sixth grade on career day and said, I want to install consumer electronics on yachts? I want to put HDTVs into yachts? He didn't know what a yacht was, and HDTV hadn't been invented. But he trusted his instincts. He knew what he was good at. He could take machines apart and put them back together. And even if he was getting a D minus all the time, he had a bright future, and nobody would tell him that because they thought he was a dummy. And so that's the kind of thing where, like, so what do you say, what do you say to, to her, her, uh, her uncle? Oh, you know, you're not doing what you love. Well, he, he is doing what he loves and he's doing great at it. But it took a lot of getting through a lot of kind of BS career advice to get to where he's a really successful guy. So, you know, and we do that to ourselves all the time because we feel like 
we can always find all these bad things about what we do and, you know, feel like we're not doing a good job or the classic, I think, is just always blaming everybody else for all of our problems and wah, wah, this person in the office is mean to me, this is intolerable, and pretty soon you're like a professional Milton and like no one likes you because you don't have any agency about what you're doing. I'm sorry, I'm prattling on. But, uh, but you're, you're jumping into a new thing. This is exciting. Yeah, I want to talk about comfort zones. Um, mm. But I, I'm going to take another break. Sexy comfort zones? Yeah, whatever you like. Uh, we can take it wherever you want. I, I do want to take another quick break before we do that, though, so we have a have a clear road ahead of us. So we have a we have a new sponsor for Inquisitive and for Relay. Um, it's a company called Bushel. Now, Bushel is a cloud based mobile device management solution for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. Now that sounds really big. But what Bushel does is it actually takes what that is, a mobile device management solution, and makes it really easy. So what what Bushel does is it allows you to take control of the devices that you have, Apple devices, for people that work in your business or team. What makes Bushel different to everything else that you've seen that does this kind of stuff is that you don't have to read a stack of IT books to understand how to use it. It's been built to be easily used by anyone. It's a super powerful IT tool that doesn't need a dedicated IT manager. They have a fantastic user interface. It's really clean and simple. It's easy to understand, and it puts fantastic power at your fingertips. Bushel allows you to easily manage the Apple devices that you distribute to your team or that your team already have. You can set up and manage their email accounts for them. Um, if you, for security reasons, need to require passwords on devices and passcodes, you can do this so you can set it all up. Um, so this is like the idea of creating like these profiles, they're called, that can be installed on devices and then they will put a bunch of features in and put a bunch of different settings that you need. You can also remotely install apps with Bushel onto people's devices onto their iPhone and their iPad, for example, that they would need for their business. And I was talking to the guys at Bushel and something that I was really kind of like, I couldn't believe was true, but it is true. So let's say that you use Box in your workplace, right? The the file like storage solution. Um, and you want to install that on your team's phones because it has loads of documents in that you need. If you want to ensure that the documents that are in that app stay secure, so maybe they've got some customer data in them or something, you can actually stop the ability from allowing files inside the iOS Box app from being shared with Dropbox and Google Drive. Like, I didn't even know you could do this. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but they have the way to do it. It seems like magic, but but you could do it with Bushel. So it's like, the idea is, what it does is it allows you to have this control over those devices and to help your team and get them all set up with the stuff that they need without having to like employ someone to do it for you. Because um, you could do it all yourself with Bushel. And it can also really help with your bring your own device schemes in your workplace. So you can set up people's personal phones of all of these settings and all of the apps that they need, keeping them all secured and making sure that they're ready to do everything they need in, at work. And when they leave your company or they move on, you can just wipe only that data off their device. You can do that remotely and it never touches their personal stuff. So it just takes away all those settings again. Bushel allows for simple, automatic setup of Apple devices in your workplace, allowing you to really easily and awesomely configure and manage those devices without having to devote the resources of an IT manager. You get all of the control that your business needs without having to lose all of your time. You can sign up for Bushel right now at bushel.com. That's B-U-S-H-E-L.com. The first three devices you register will be free for life. And any more, it's just $2 per device per month. Thank you so much to Bushel for supporting this show and Relay FM. It's kind of, I was a little bit like, when they were telling me all the stuff, I was like, you can do that? Like, can you really do that? And like, yeah, no, we can do that. That's a real um, nightmare for a lot of uh, sysadmin types, having to deal with all those little different boxes. Yep, and this way, you don't need one. Anyway, so, comfort zones. So, when I was thinking about this for myself, like I am going, I'm going in a totally new direction. It's a, I am trying to create a show which has all of the polish of something that you'll hear on NPR, right? That's what my attempt is, but I don't have that experience. And and for me, like one of the crazy things in doing this is, I'm putting it all on the line, like I'm putting it all out there with this first episode, and I'm hoping that it speaks to people in that way so they hear it and they're really impressed and they think how great this sounds now this is a totally different direction for me this is this is unlike anything else that i produce that we were talking earlier about the way that we edit as in i don't do any usually so 
I was thinking back to like when I first started podcasting and I had no idea what I was doing the same sort of way. Like I'd never done anything like that before at all. But I was able to kind of learn without anybody looking because nobody listened. <laughs> but this is like all of the current subscribers of this show, provided they don't hear this and completely unsubscribe straight away, they're going to get this episode next week. And then hopefully some more people will see it as well. So I don't, I feel like now I don't have like the luxury, if you'd call it, of, of not, of people not seeing it. I can't like practice and fail quietly on my own anymore. And I was, so I was thinking about like comfort zones. And when I was thinking about you, like I listened recently to the live Roderick on the line. And I know that you've been doing some other live shows recently with Scott Simpson, right? And mm-hmm. is that, because, Usually you're speaking into a microphone and you know that there's people listening, but you're not talking directly to people. Do you feel like in those scenarios when you're doing something that's, that's again, not like a rehearsed talk as well that you might do or, you know, when you go in somewhere and give a speech to somebody, do you feel that when you're doing like your podcasts on a stage, like do you feel that you're in your regular comfort zone? Do you step out of it? Hmm. I think, you know, kind of. I am fortunate... In the, of my uh, numerous afflictions, I, I don't get straight stage fright very badly. I, I don't mind performing or you know being in front of people. Um, you know I'm pretty comfortable doing that. But I also know that just because I'm comfortable doing that doesn't mean I'm good at it. And especially if I have to deal with other people in a live situation. So if I'm by myself, I you know I can shuck and jive. If I'm with somebody else, I mean that takes a lot of confidence in the other person that, you know, you'll kind of work it out. But uh, I think it's it's kind of in my comfort zone. I mean, I used to be in bands and I've done plays and stuff like that. But, you know, at the same time, there's, you know, we talk about comfort. I don't know if it's exactly a comfort zone related thing is that I think, I think whenever you start something new or you're thinking about doing something differently, uh, if, if you're like me, you tend to think of everything that could possibly go wrong and all the ways in which you're going to look like a, an idiot and a charlatan. And that's, um, that's not a great way to go into a new project. It, it, you know, it isn't like you want to go in with total folly and just assume everything will go great. But you, know, you have to be a little bit, I think you have to have the right state of mind about it. And then very importantly, and I think this is the key, is that back to that idea of reframing, you have to have a, a clear idea in your mind about which kinds of new things and how many of those new things you're confident doing at one time. Because from my own experience, uh, I have learned that I have, okay, good success at doing something new that's not dissimilar from what I've done before, where I did a little pivot. But you know, there's some things that I found unsustainable to do because it required me to do five new things. And even though I was okay good at those, it was way too much to try and do on my own. So that I, I guess I feel like in some ways giving yourself... I mean, first of all, trying to calm the hell down never hurts. But then also giving yourself some maybe even artificial constraints about the rules of the game and how you do it can be a great way to get started. So that way, you know, you know, being forced out of your comfort zone, people talk about that a lot. I guess that's a good thing. I don't think it's great for everybody all the time. Um, I, I wouldn't want to like force somebody to do improv on stage in front of a thousand people who'd never done it before. Because, you know, that's like throwing somebody into a pool who's never had a swimming lesson. That's, you know, that's out of your comfort zone and you'll probably die. I think there's advisable ways to try something that's different from what you've done before by making sure that it's grounded, that you've got like a foothold in something that is familiar to, to you. And then you make a mindful decision about the things that you want to do that are different. And, and that's to me where the planning happens, where you think through, and I have, you know, ideas about how to do this with different kinds of things. But that to me is the thing. I mean, it is important, but, you know, it's everybody talks about comfort zones when they're already like out of their comfort when they're like in back in a comfort zone. Usually there aren't that many people or they're, or they might talk about when they're worried about, you know, what they're going to do next. But you know, the, the, the real secret shame is those of us who are like, Oh my God, I kind of hate my comfort zone. And I'm, I, I am embarrassed about being stuck in this one thing. And like, I don't even want to talk about it with people. I think for a lot of people, that's, that's kind of a real thing. It's the same way that you don't get Ted talks from people who have had five companies fail and and zero companies succeed. You you know what I mean? You only, you know, the, the victors kind of write the history. So, you know, I'm a little skeptical about advice from people who are always telling you to go out and do all these things when they've mostly celebrated the things that have turned out okay for them. But I have plenty of ideas about ways to do that in a way that you don't lose your mind, but do get to try something that's different and new. How do you feel about about new projects? Like hate them, I hate them. 
Why? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know. New projects, that's very general. Um, yeah, okay, okay, so let, let me try. So when you're, I guess maybe as a more of a, a starting point, like, do you pay much attention to the little ideas that pop into your head of the million new different things you could try? Sometimes. Historically, I'm not nearly as proactive as I, I'd like to have been in life. Uh, one thing I, I have learned is that sometimes, you know, there's that old line I remember hearing when I was a kid about how advertising only works after someone's been exposed to a given advertisement, however many teen times, 13, 15 times, whatever. You know, and that when Coca-Cola buys an ad, they buy an ad not expecting you to see it four times. They expect you to see it 50 times because that's very effective. And whether we like it or not, that is actually very effective. Um, and so, you know, I... When I think about new project stuff, I sometimes find that I won't do anything about something for a long time. And I don't know if this works for you, but like suddenly I'll have this blinding flash where I go, oh, God, you're such a dope. Obviously, you should go do this thing. So, I mean, to a certain extent, that was back to work in some ways. It was like, oh, you're such a dummy. Why don't you go do a podcast with Dan Benjamin? Like that seems, you know, in retrospect, it's like doy. But like at the time, it was kind of a big thing because I was like, oh, I'm supposed to feel bad about this book. Like, ah, I should not be allowed to go do a new project. Bad Merlin. But sometimes it takes a long time for it to sort of gestate and to get to where there's enough of these these little, uh, you know, midichlorians uh, collecting uh, to make me feel like I'm ready to be a Jedi. Like, okay, now let's go do this thing. Oh, how obvious that would be. This is the kind of show you should do. And this is probably the kind of way you could, act could actually do it. So and I like that. And then that's exciting. And then, you know, it's... Um, there's a, oh God, I'm so obsessed with this Alan Watts book I've been reading, The Wisdom of Insecurity. He has a great line in it where he says something along the lines of that, it's one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to mangle it here. But something along the line of, you know, um, that once you, once you really understand what the question is, the answer is incredibly obvious. If, if the answer is not obvious, you haven't asked the right question yet. And I think about that a lot. Because sometimes when I see people who are frustrated with their job, frustrated with their career, frustrated with their projects, it's because they're asking a question that expired many weeks, months, or years ago and keep wondering why the answer doesn't come up. It's like, well, dude, that answer died when you were in like junior high. You don't get a race car bed, like figure out something else. So for me, sometimes it's just a matter of accumulating a certain amount of like that thought bouncing around and going, oh, and then, and then all of a sudden the axes come together. I go, oh, here's what I should do. I should do this project with this person about this topic, have this many episodes. It comes out this often and I bet I could get that person to sponsor it. Boom. And now it's, it's all just implementation. And, you know, I just, you don't get that every day in my experience. It takes a while. So do you... Does that answer your question? No, it does. Like how, how often do you allow yourself to go down that route, though? Mm, I'll think about it a lot and go, Ugh, that's too much work. Or, Ugh, like, that could be, you know, a lot of trouble for not much return. You know, and, and, you know, and this is, this sounds, you know, pretty douchey, but like, it, like you said, you, you know, how you feel like you don't have a chance to you know, be crappy in public because people are watching. I am more circumspect now about things that I even soft launch because you have to think about stuff. Like if you're, if you're trying to make this a thing, uh, you do have to think about stuff like, you know, something that's a real thing now. It's true with movies. It's true with music. It's true with apps. I mean, go look at the app store numbers. You've got to have a lot of people excited about what you do the first week or it's going to be pretty hard. Because you can expect a 50% drop-off, whether that's your TV show. Like, everybody talks about this, you know? The first, first episode of a TV show some people will watch, it always, except in extremely rare cases, always drops off. Roderick talks about this with his records in the past. That first week is the high bar. If we sell this many units this week, I can almost promise we'll sell half as many next week. Do, do you know what I mean? So I feel like there's a lot of pressure to have a big bang when something happens. And you don't want to mishandle that. You don't want to be a, a dick about it. You don't want to be like, you know, in case you missed it ing all over your friends all the time. Like, shut up. I get it. No, I didn't miss it. I just don't want to click on that. Stop saying that. Um, you know, how and often you, do excited, you miss it? Like, really? That's well, you know, I, I guess like I, I do that. But, you know, why don't you have some muscularity about it and go, you know what? I like this episode of Back to Work so much. I'm linking to it twice in two days. I don't even have a remark. I'm just excited about it. I really want you to hear this. <laughs> but in case you missed it, it's more like, hmm, if you have some kind of an eyesight problem or a palsy, you might not have seen my, my new blog post. It's yeah. like, well, it's, it's like, it is, it's kind of Weasley is the problem. <laughs> so it's like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, um, excuse me. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, it's an assumption, right? The only reason you haven't been to this yet is because you missed it. Well, I do it. I do it too. I do it. I mean, I feel like, I, I feel like a dork. I have, uh, 
I don't understand. I think most of my Twitter followers are robots and, you know, like, I, I don't know, but it's a lot. And so I feel like what I put on there should be pretty good and it should be something I'm proud of. So like when we we're trying to promote this Roderick on the Line shirt, well, that was a big deal because we could make some serious dough from this and we had two weeks to promote this thing, which I had to stagger over these two weeks. And I felt like a jerk constantly promoting it, but that's how you sell things. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, I, 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 every time I posted it, I went, you know, for every 10 people who I kind of bum out and I didn't even hear about how they're bummed out about it, there's going to be three people in two weeks who go, I can't believe you didn't talk more about this. It happens every day now. Somebody toots me and says, why didn't you tell me there was a Roderick on the Line shirt? And then I put a gun in my mouth. And so there's, there's, no, there's no way to win that. But whatever you do, you have to have some confidence and muscularity about saying, well, that's just the thing I'm going to do, and that's going to be okay. You're either, and, and we see this with our good friend, Matt Alexander, who I can see struggling mm-hmm. with deciding how much to talk about a company he's genuinely proud of. He's embarrassed about how proud he is of that company. And he really, I could see him self-editing going, oh, I feel like such a douche for announcing that I'm launching a new company. Well, you got to do that. That's your job now, right? Yep. So- I mean, that's, that's part of it is like, you know, the, you know, the worst kind of weasel you can be is somebody who thinks you're fooling everybody into thinking you're authentic. Like the, you know, the most authentic thing you can do is to go, Hey, this is a thing I do. I'm excited about. And this is my place to talk about it. And here it is. Then don't apologize. And if you do feel bad about it, then don't do it. You know, if you wouldn't have posted the link without the affiliate link, don't post the link. Easy. Done. Boom. Like if <laughs> you're either, you could be mercantile or not mercantile and you decide that every day and then you live with it. Some people are going to hate it. Some people won't. And you still have zero control over any of them. So if you're proud enough of what you're doing, you'll feel great about putting it out eventually. So like next week, like I'm going to be talking a lot on Twitter about this, about the new, the new show series. Just, just series. In, in case people, in case people missed it. In case they do miss it. I will continue to make sure they don't miss it, just in case. <laughs> this episode of Inquisitive is also brought to you by our friends over at Fracture. Um, I, I really like Fracture. Um, I've been very, very happy with the prints that I've had from them. So what they do is, you've probably heard this elsewhere, but I hope that you uh, that you use the code Inquisitive to get 15% off today. Fracture is a company that prints photos directly onto glass. Now, they're just so beautiful. Like they've said to me, and and I agree that like people have told them that they look like like hanging something like an iPad on your wall. Like you know how Apple do the great thing where they like laminate the photo to the glass, so it looks like it's right there. You know, so the colors really pop, and it's like you can just touch it. That is what actually what Fracture do. That's their business. They put pictures directly onto glass so you can go onto their site you can upload stuff it's great for like family photos it's fantastic for gifts um people do it with app icons i've done it with podcast art like it's a kind of a nice way to show off something that you're proud of which could also be your family i assume you're probably quite proud of them so you should have some lovely fracture prints made up you know you don't have to get a photo printed and then find a frame and put it in the frame and find a frame that's the right size and then try and find the stuff to hang it on the wall because the, the fracture print is in and of itself the frame and the photo um, they have prices that start at just $15 for their small square size which is just fantastic they ship worldwide I had five of them in a box shipped to the UK not a scratch which I thought was really impressive when they wow. came. Wow, so like, that's amazing. It's just five sheets of glass, right, <laughs> being put on God knows what and sent over. And the box, right, the box had been scuffed. So I was like, there's no way these things made it. Absolutely perfectly fine because they pack them in so nicely. And part of it's foam as well, right? So it's it's got this nice kind of solid foam backing, which is fantastic. Also, it, it comes like you can – it's all like a self-contained thing. You can stand it up on its own all day. You can put them into the wall. They throw in a screw into the box, which is just nice, you know? Just to put a screw in. Everyone's got screws, but why not just throw a screw in the box and make it easy for the people that get them? They're all made and handmade, and they're checked for quality in Gainesville, Florida. Um, so, you, you know. Made in the USA, right? If that's the thing that you love, then you can get them like that. But you know the handmade goods, which is absolutely fantastic. You can uh, get $15 off and help support this show if you use the code INQUISITIVE at checkout. So go to fracture.me, check it out, and buy one online. Buy it for a gift, buy it for yourself. Whoever you get it for is going to be really impressed. So let's go away from the serious stuff. What's rocking your world right now, Mr. Merlin, man? Oh, I wasn't prepared for this. No, what's what kind of things are you excited about right now? What movies are you enjoying? Oh, let's see. Oh God, that's a really good question. I wish you'd told me and asked me uh, to to prepare. I um, I don't know. It's kind of random. 
I end up, um, after my family has gone to bed earlier than I do, I end up just watching stuff that's kind of landed in the little basket and, uh, or I watch things on, uh, on the iTunes. I'm, I've really been enjoying movies again lately. I just watched, um, I don't know what this, what I can say that I've watched. Um, <laughs> I've watched lots of movies that were recently released on the iTunes store that are really good. Um, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying movies again. I'm kind of having some time away, uh, from music, uh, even though I got the beats and I really like it. I'm, I, uh, I think a lot of my walking around the house time, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. So I could, I mean, it's pretty much the usual suspects, but I do a lot of that. And, um, I'm kind of slightly getting back into comic books again after a little bit of frustration and time away. What frustrated you? Oh, the, the again the usual suspects. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm primarily a Marvel guy. I, I, increasingly, I really like Image Comics for the reasons that it, Marvel drives me crazy. But um, I got real fatigued. Um, I guess right around the time, especially of like Infinity, the Infinity series, where it's just they talked about this recently on the Incomparable. But you know, everybody goes through these things at least once, and probably I'm guessing more than once, where you go, ah, just it's it's so obviously just a money grab. I mean, you know, whatever, they're a publishing company, you know, good on them. But there's something so exhausting about trying to keep up with that stuff. And now increasingly, there's a handful of comics that I really look forward to uh, that are just a delight to read. You know, things like Hawkeye, things like Saga, things I've talked about before. I love um, Squirrel Girl, Ryan North's uh, new comic. Um, I really love Silver Surfer, uh, the the dance lot and the All Reds one. Um, I love Ms. Marvel. I got on the Marvel Unlimited, which has been a very interesting exercise for me because I used to be somebody who went in and spent 40 to $100 on a Wednesday. Yes, that much. That's how dumb I was. And now I tend to wait until stuff comes out. I'll trade wait <laughs> until something comes out in a trade uh, and then, uh, or I'll wait till it comes up on Marvel Unlimited. And I find I enjoy it so much more when something from June is now available and I can you know, catch up once there's three of them out. So you know, now that I've kind of put the need to keep up behind me, I'm enjoying comics again. That's that's a couple things. What do you think about? I mean, so basically, this is I didn't write the hundred questions that I usually write for every yeah. episode that I do because today kind of just felt like I wanted to relax a little bit. Before. This is this is us. It's just us time, Mike. Mm-hmm. This is just I, you and me, eyeball to eyeball. Because you're, you know, I think of everyone. You're the person that I can just have these sort of chats with. But so I'm going to ask you a question that you know this this now makes this episode like not live forever. But uh, what do you think about the Spider Man? Thing. I, th- I think it's potentially good. Uh, Spider-Man, I, I don't know the details, but apparently uh, Spider-Man, who had been licensed to Sony for movies since the late 90s, is now, I guess, back in Marvel Studio movies. Yeah, it's, I, it I seems think, so, like, the, the terms of the deal seem so ambiguous. Like, apparently no oh, money right. no money traded hands, right? No money hmm. is going to trade hands. So, like, Marvel's going to help with the Sony movie, and Spider-Man's going to be in some Marvel movies. But, like, the idea is everyone's going to mutually benefit, which is, I mean, anybody could have told you this, right? <laughs> I just, right. It, there's just this, like, part of me, it's like, I can't believe that a movie studio is seeing what I could have told them. Because usually in these scenarios, like, they just seem to be so clueless. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I've grown fond on, on Roderick on the line. I've grown fond of saying that only young people think things happen for a reason. Uh, I think when it comes to movies and big entertainment deals, everything happens for a reason. I think there is a great deal of thought and deliberation that goes into every one of those decisions. Uh, a lot of negotiations, I have to imagine. It's just not to be a karma suck, but the Marvel machine is, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling kind of over it. I mean, I still love elements of it, but it, it, I, I feel so manipulated um, as a fan. Like, I feel like my affection for these characters and even for these writers and, and artists has really been manipulated to the point that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fatigued and I'm having trouble even like getting any amount of like childhood enthusiasm um, for all of these giant things. Like, it could be great. You know, I think that's cool. But I mean, like, what's the movie? I'll tell you, the movie I've enjoyed most from the entire Marvel character universe ever was Guardians of the Galaxy, which everybody seemed to universally agree was going to tank. Now, who knows how they're going to screw that up by trying to, you know, make it a big thing. It's just that, you know, they, they need blockbusters, which is understandable. But the slate of movies that are coming out in the next, whatever, five or eight years is just, you know, bewildering to me. Uh, 
I think Captain Marvel just got pushed out to something like 2018 because Spider-Man's back in the group. And it's like, that's, mm-hmm. that's a bummer to me. I would really have enjoyed seeing uh, Captain Marvel um, have a movie. So, you know, I, I'm just getting, I, in order to not be cynical about it, I have to just avoid the stuff that makes me cynical. And so like a day like today, you know, my, my daughter and I, she hops into bed at, you know, 5.30 and we read Squirrel Girl and it's the greatest thing in the world. Are you reading Squirrel Girl, Mike? I, I've not even heard of it. Did you read the Adventure Time comics? Yes. Ryan North wrote? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ryan North writes uh, Squirrel Girl and it's, it's a delight. She has the proportionate uh, strength and agility of a squirrel and has squirrel blood. <laughs> and she has Was a she tiny bit little... by a radioactive squirrel. I, they haven't gone to the origin. Um, right. they, no, it's, I think it's in there somewhere, but it's very, very fun. And along the lines of a little bit like Silver Surfer, very human, you know. Um, but what else am I excited about? I don't know. I'm getting kind of interested in doing new work stuff again. I got a couple things brewing finally that I'm kind of a little bit excited about. And um, I'm feeling a little bit more on my game with that stuff, which is always That's a nice cool. feeling. Are they, yeah. are they public projects? Uh, no, the things I only release for myself, if you know what I mean. Well, I mean, you 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 do talks and and things like that. Oh, right, right, right. You know? Man, the speaking thing. Whew. I I was trying to get back into that, but man, it is such a grind. <laughs> it's such a grind to go around and around. It's like anything. Like you've done, you've done. No, you have. Have you done freelance work in the past? Much you've been never. with that big company for forever, right? Yeah, never never done any freelance work. Well, you know, you got to really, it's like sales. You got to have the personality for it. And I just, I, I might, there's too many calls early in the engagement process that were basically, there's a call where I'm like, dude, really? And <laughs> that makes me ill-suited to like, well, you know, we have to have this series of things. And my wife, who's always worked in large institutions, she works at large hospitals. She's used to the glacial pace of things. But like, I... <laughs> got an email from a nice guy last week who wanted me to do a gig in Washington, D.C. this week. I got the email while I was at sea on a cruise that he wanted me to do that. None of the, none of the payment has been lined up. None of, none of the travel has been booked. But he kind of wanted my commitment to doing a project two days after I got back. And I was like, I mean, am I actually clinically insane or are you? Like, who looks at that and thinks that that makes any sense? Like, you know, and it turned out not, not to be a good thing. He's a great guy and he's working within constraints. He's doing what he can. He has a good heart. Hi, friend, if you're listening. Um, but that's the kind of thing where you're like, I start to feel like the crazy person because I have to be the one who goes, am I the only one that's like seeing all these dancing monkeys here? Like, wh- what, what is happening? It's crazy town banana pants. So, but stuff I can do on my own, I, can, I feel like I can kind of handle. You know, and one thing I was, I've, been, I've been aching to mention just because I think it's such a good idea. I, I, you know, when we talked about the reframing and the podcast and stuff, I'm super interested in the idea of seasons or as you say, series, mm-hmm. you know? Look at Faulty Towers. Look at The Office. Look at all the great shows. Oh, <laughs> that was where, totally, where? I swear to Christ, that was totally an accident. All, all the great, hey, you got a, did you get a better bell? No, I just put it on a different surface. I was preparing. I was preparing. I know I, I was, I was really worried then that it was going to sound terrible, but no, it sounded but okay. like, think about, think about like, I'm so intoxicated by this idea of like eight episodes. Because if you think about all the things when you're going through your crazy monkey mind, thinking about, about you know, this new project, all the stuff you were talking about, like, uh, should, I, should I do this? Is this nuts? Will someone like it? It's so much work. Will I have the sponsors? Can I sustain this? I mean, maybe I'm whistling past the graveyard, but I feel like so many of those questions are addressed by going, you know what? I'm going to do eight episodes yep. and half of them will be in the can or two or three or whatever. Like, I, I'll, I'll already know I can do this by the time it launches. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I have some under completely. my belt. Because I'm this I, this this new thing is it's the first sort of season of it, the first like because it's going to be inquisitive still right, and then there's going to be a subtitle for each season. And as I mentioned earlier, it's behind the app is the first one, and it's going to be ten to fifteen episodes. Um, I have ten planned out, but I, as I'm doing it, I'm realizing some need to be split in two because they're too big. But by next Wednesday, I will have already had three ready to go. Oh, that's so great! Because that's Cause, you know, that's the way to do something like this. I think. I think you're totally right. Because think about all of the, here we go, take a drink, all the anxiety and all the dread that, that comes out of thinking about even even thinking about doing a new project. And I feel like there's two, well, there's, there's several things that loom. Certainly for most of us, there's the whole like, what if I'm revealed as a fraud and this turns out terrible and everyone hates it? There's an element of that in everybody. But I think the two primary things, even if you think it might be good, is like, wow, I wonder what this will be. And I wonder how long I'll be able to pull it off. And to me, there's something so great 
about knowing I need to do six episodes of this. Like there's so many things in the last five years I would do differently uh, and I think would have had more success with if I, if I had done that and said, hey, when you're ready for six more, let's do six more. But in, in that instance, I think, think about this. Think about, you know, when you're flying or you're in a doctor's office and you get there and you're early and you sit there and nothing happens. And it gets to be 10 o'clock. It's time for the flight. It's time for the, you know, you get where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And nothing happens. It gets to be 10 minutes after 10 or 10 minutes late for the 10, you know, where's the appointment? And you go to the person at the counter and you say, well, what's going on here? Uh, where's the flight? Where's my doctor? Uh, it'll probably be another 15, 20 minutes. Of course, that 15 or 20 minutes goes by. I've been in situations where that ends up being like with a flight, four, five, six hours. It happens. Think about how different you would feel if the second you got there, they said, I'm so sorry, this has been delayed for six hours. Go do something awesome for six hours and come back. What drives you nuts is having to sit there on your ass and wonder when the hell this thing's going to end because that's crazy. That's a crazy feeling. And I think something feels so much more doable if you know how many feet long the tunnel is and how soon you can expect to see the light. I find that a very encouraging idea. So my one hopefully maybe kind of useful thing to say, to maybe to you, but to your audience is like figure out the length of tunnel that, that you can deal with. And like work into that and then work those angles. If it's going to be six episodes, come up with a theme that you can cover in six episodes. It just, it seems so obvious to me in retrospect now, you know, instead of going like, oh, I'm going to have this show that just goes for 700 episodes, maybe, you know, it gives you so much more confidence uh, to have like a little bit of constraint. Constraint is the key. Like, it's, it's, I guess it's understanding what you can work with, right? And, and not trying to push it too far. Well, it's just, you know, the obvious thing is it's just one less giant question mark on your project man- management triangle, right? It's, you know, you know, the project management triangle. But like, if you could take off one of the major things, uh, I know that we've got a huge amount of money. Now we just need to deal with scope and quality or whatever, however you want to think of that, to know that you're not going to have, you may not have to do this on the one hand forever. And on the other hand, if you can, you know, three episodes is probably not enough. You could probably stick it out for six you know what I mean? You could probably wait. If you know the doctor's going to be there in an hour, it's not a big deal. You go to the cafeteria and come back. That, I think, is a real consolation. It helps you to plan out other projects, and it makes you less bitter. If something else comes along, like, you know, you can take that into consideration and not have to worry about all these other things you're carrying around in this bushel basket on your back every day. That's my tip. Merlin, thank you. It's thank you, I'm Michael. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I, I really love your shows. I listen to so, all, so many of all the great shows, and uh, I, I really do love them, and I'm, I'm very happy for you, and I, I really hope it keeps going well, and I hope it's a, a big hit for you. You're very kind. People, people should listen to Roderick on the Line because it's the best, just the best thing ever. Um, I have, like, I'm a few episodes behind. I have, like, three. Uh, I listened to the live episode. I kind of jumped out of continuity, which I I feel like I need to perform seppuku <laughs> for like I just <laughs> I just I because I've never done it and now like I jumped ahead to listen to it and now I feel like I've ruined everything. But hopefully I know okay. how busy you are and how few uh, from your other shows. I hear you talking about how few podcasts you have time to listen to. So I, I'm honored that you listen at all. Thank you. I I I couldn't not seriously. I I genuinely that show is one of my very 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 favorites. I, oh I, man, I you make me make my day. Thank you so much. I will be sure to to tell John that. Oh yeah. Well, I'm scared though, because I, I fear he might have like a hundred follow-up questions, and I'm always kind of like any the, of them. he's. I don't know if he's like the opposite of John Syracuse or like kind of like his his evil mate, but like the two of them, if they ever got together, it would be such a dangerous pairing, because they both have so many follow-up questions. Yeah, whatever you do, like never let them get near each other. Don't but touch his food. Never let him and Dan, John and Dan, get near each other again. I'm worried that podcasts might implode upon upon themselves. It's like John four and a half hours, right? John, John claims it's because Dan didn't have a bell. And that's Dan's problem. <laughs> I heard him say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Could, they had nothing to stop him. So he's just <clears throat> carrying on going. There's no brakes on that truck. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to tell the world about? Like, where where should people go? Like, is there anywhere? Nope. Nope. Just go to relay.fm and enjoy all these wonderful programs that uh, that your friends there have put together. It's, oh, it's a wonderful all the, all, all the good shows. Oh my god, all the great shows, all, all the great shows. So thank you for having me on, man. Always a pleasure. So I don't want to do that whole like goodbye everyone because it's not like that. But the show will be different next week, and I really, really hope that you enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> I will say. Mommy's getting a facelift. She's going to look a little different. (laughs) But she'll be the same person underneath. Mommy's going to have a short wig and lots of bandages for a while. (laughs) 
<laughs> but when you take them off, she's going to look great. Um, Mommy still loves you. <laughs> I'm very proud of what you're going to hear next week. Um, I've worked on it very hard, and I'm very, very proud of it. So I hope that you enjoy it. And there we go. You have that. And, so what uh, do they need to do? They just keep this feed going, and it'll it'll yep. feed right into the feed. feed? Yeah, it's the same show. Like it's going to be episode like twenty seven. It's just going to start from there um, because it's kind of inquisitive. Keeps it keeps the idea. It's lots lots of interviews and a nicely pieced together. And I've been doing lots of research and reading things and watching old keynotes and stuff. Um, yeah, I think people are going to like it. I think you're going to dig it. Uh, and if you do, Mike, Mike's a gentleman. Me. Mike's a gentleman, so he's not going to say this, especially if I interrupt him. But here's the thing: if you like Mike and you like Relay, please go tell your friends about this. Tell tell two of your smartest friends to listen to Mike's new show because he does great work, and it'd be awesome if it was a big hit. And so tell smart people and ask them to do the same. Thank you, Molly Man. Hi, Michael. Love you. I love you too. <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't hit the bell. Huh. What, what? We already did it before, though. Oh, yeah. When hmm. you said all the good shows. Let's, let's start over. You want to start the show? Good week? Yes. Yes, let's do that. It's been great. <laughs> it's such a good week. <laughs> <laughs> Huge week. Do, 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 do. <laughs>